what we did last week, for the few that were here, I just reviewed some things, but I want to make sure we are clear because I, you know, re repetition, as you know, is good because it, re it makes you think of things more forcefully and remember them. And the reason why I repeat is certain things and I make it very clear is because these are key milestones in what we're studying. If we don't know that, because I've glossed over many things when I've studied scripture like we all have, but if we gloss over some key concepts and key um, goings-on, if you will, in the Bible, we will miss the thread that runs through the scriptures. One of the most important threads is Babylon. Babylon, we talked about who Nimrod was, and again, I'll always say it, it's in my notes. So go to my website, get my notes, and read. The more you understand this, the better you'll be ready, not only for the rest of history, the better you'll understand why things are the way they are now. And what the book of Revelation says is going to happen. I'd say Babylon is not just a thread that runs through Scripture. It's a cord. It's a lot of threads tied into a cord, and it's, it winds its way through everything. It has polluted everything, and it will be totally destroyed. Matter of fact, like I said a couple weeks ago, three weeks ago, there are two chapters in the book of Revelation, not one, but two, dedicated to the total destruction of both Babylon's the economic Babylon and the religious or ecumenical Babylon. There's two major components. <clears throat> so it was Nimrod who started it. I'm not going to go through all of him again, but his wife, Semiramis, who became known as the Queen of Heaven. Remember, they built the tower. Semiramis, his wife, they had a son named Tammuz, and they formed the first worldwide religion. Now remember, there were no Jews yet. There was only Noah after the flood and God working with them. The first worldwide religion was this Babylonian mystery religion, which has wormed its way into every major, or has become every major religion, or wormed its way into even those quote-unquote religions that even say that Christ is Messiah and is God. It's even wormed its way into Christianity, which you know is not really a religion, it's a what? Relationship. But we observe pagan cultures. So we observe holidays with pagan origins. And a lot of us know that. But do we care? Now again, I, I said this last week and I want to make sure you understand. And at least it's, it's not sin, but you have to understand. The more you understand how Babylon has crept into your heart and my heart, the more you will hate it. And the more you will see why God may not love, and I'm going to say it, and I... I, I Take the risk of offending people, but if you can prove it wrong and have a case, build it and come to me. But I don't think God appreciates Christmas nearly as he, as he appreciates the, the Jewish uh, or God's holy days, like Rosh Hashanah. Or does he appreciate Easter or does he appreciate Passover? You have to understand this. You don't have to understand it to be Christian. But the more you understand Babylon and it's worming its way into all of this, the better off you'll be. Now, I just want to, if, you, if you're not going to read my notes, at least jot this down. Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 16 through 20. And the summary here is that God says, don't even offer up <coughs> prayers. Don't even offer up petitions for those who are worshiping the queen of heaven, who bake cakes to worship her and her image. And Jeremiah 44, verses 15 through 19, Jeremiah 44, verses 15 through 19, where you see here the Jews themselves, the Israelites themselves saying, you know what, God? Shaking their fist. We, our wives, we will not, they says here, actually in verse 16, 
We will not listen to the message you have spoken to us in the name of the Lord. We will certainly do everything we said we would. We will burn incense to the Queen of Heaven and we will pour out drink offerings to her just as we and our fathers, our kings and our officials did in the towns of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. So let me ask you this question, rhetorical, but I want you to think about it. Will you do the same? Will you say, I will worship you in the way I feel like it? See, at least they were saying, we know we're not worshiping you, God. We know we're not. We don't care. I just read to you scripture you can read in your own Bible. But do we as Christians worship in the way we feel most comfortable? Do we put too much stock into things that God particularly didn't create for us to worship him in? It's Babylon. It's the infection of Babylon. So just to make that clear. All right. Also, jot down Ezekiel chapter 8, verses 12 through 15. And Ezekiel is saying, um, he's saying to Ezekiel here, and just summarize, son of man, which is God's term he's calling Ezekiel, have you seen, Ezekiel, what the elders of the house of Israel, now we're talking about the elders, not just the quote-unquote average folk, elders of the house of Israel are doing in the darkness, each at the shrine of his own idol, and they say, the Lord does not see us, the Lord has forsaken the land. And again he says, you will see them doing things that are even more detestable than this. And in verse 14 of chapter 8 of Ezekiel, then he brought me, Ezekiel, to the entrance to the north gate of the house of the Lord, and I saw women sitting there mourning for Tumuz. Do you think that this is something that's fake? Do you think that this is so many years after Babylon, at the point of Ezekiel comes in here, that God's not remembering all of this stuff about Babylon, about Nimrod, Semiramis, and their son Tumuz, who, by the way, as their legend put it, was killed by a wild boar and was resurrected. Sound like somebody we know? So, just to be very careful about that. Turn to Genesis chapter 19. We're going to move toward the story of the call of Abraham. Now, I'm sure, I would think, most of you know, at least have heard of Abraham. His name at the outset is Abram. And God changes his name to Abraham. I think it's chapter 12, but we, don't, we won't go there right now. What I want to show you in Genesis chapter 19, do you remember Lot's, uh, Lot, Abraham's nephew, Lot? Everybody pretty much knows Lot, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. We're going to talk about that because here is this thread, this developing thread now of Babylon, right? We just talked about, we just talked about Nimrod and, and actually in Genesis chapter 10 and 11, it's going through the Tower of Babel, and then God changing the languages because he wanted them to disperse, and they finally they have to because they can't really communicate anymore. So that's the beginning of the nations populating the earth. But then it nicely segues right into the call of Abraham. Because not only is, is Babylon one of the major milestones here, hopefully I've, I've shown you this, but of course the call of Abraham is one of the, the major milestones, prominent milestones um, in Scripture. But why? Why are they so close together? It's not just they're close together, not because just they're close together in time. There's something going on here, and I want you to see the thread as we move forward. So Genesis chapter 19, verses 12 through 36. The two men said to Lot, now those of you who should be familiar with the story, these two men are whom? Angels. 
Their mission was going to be to destroy Sodom because God said, because of all of the evil, and believe me, it was evil. It was filthy evil. And if you know the story, and I'm not going to get into it because, again, this is an overview of the Bible. I suggest if you don't know the story of Lot and, and the story, you should read that part of Scripture. Read Genesis chapter, chapter 19. But you're going to get the preface to it in a minute. Lot is in Sodom. But remember, Lot is Abram's nephew. We're going to talk all about that. So these two men are angels, and what he wants to do is that his, God has sent these angels to destroy the city with fire and brimstone. God said he hated Sodom so much that when he destroyed that city, it would never be heard from again. And it hasn't. There's, another, there's a couple of cities God said that about. Nineveh was another one of them. But there's one that will be destroyed in the future that will never be heard from again. Damascus. Damascus, Syria, has never ceased from being a city. But if you look at the book of Isaiah, and I think it's chapter 17, and you don't have to go there now, it says, God, Isaiah says, the burden of Damascus has been put upon me. And Damascus has ceased from being a city in an instant. That is what's going to happen very soon, and that's probably going to be the entry point, or at least at the beginning of the tribulation. Damascus will never be hurting. So you're right about Rome. I mean, the, all of these, when the world's renewed, I mean, all, all of this is going to change. It's all going to be ancient history. But the point is, is that when God says something is totally evil, that he's going to wipe it out completely, it doesn't mean he's not going to wipe anything else out completely, but he hates something so much. So watch the Middle East. Watch what's going to happen to Damascus probably very soon. The two men said to Lot, do you have anyone else here? Son-in-law, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here, because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against its people is so great, so great, that he has sent us to destroy this city. Continuing in verse 15. With the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot. Now, that was the night before, so now they, they stay, they uh, tarry. The next morning, when the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, Hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away when the city is punished. I'm going to draw a parallel here in a little while, but I want you to keep in mind the order of events. Now listen to this, verse 16. But when he, meaning who? Lot. What did he do? He hesitated. The men had to actually physically grasp him by the hand and the hands of his wife and the two daughters. Now, can you imagine these two beefy men? I mean, they're angels, but they manifested themselves <coughs> as men. And they, they had to grab them. It's like my family. If I, my house is on fire and they want to save the cat, I say, later for the cat, we got to go. And I'd probably have to take, especially my wife, because she loves the cats and the dog. I'd probably have to take her by the hand and physically drag her out of that house so she will not die. Well, I want you to understand, this is what these angels are doing here. So he took them by the hand and, as, uh, uh, and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. Again, parallels I want you to start thinking about here. Verse 17, as soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, flee for your lives. Don't look back and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you will be swept away. But Lot said to them, no, my lords, please. Your servant has found favor in your eyes, and you have shown us great kindness to me in sparing my life, but I can't flee to the mountains. This disaster will overtake me, and, I'll, and I will die. Now, that's another issue, because Lot's now deciding that what God has planned is not exactly going to be good enough. He's now so worried he wants to escape to a different place. Just get the drift here. 
So verse 20, look, here is a town near, uh, near enough to run to, and it is small. Let me flee to it. It is very small, isn't it? And then my life will be spared. Now, my personal, my personal bent on this thing, and it's only my personal opinion, it doesn't really mean that it's truth. He didn't really want to leave Sodom. He liked it there. Matter of fact, his wife liked it there so much, what happened to her? She looked back. And so he probably didn't want to get too far away because maybe he's thinking in his mind, you know what, after this destruction happens, I'll help rebuild the city. Life was good in Sodom, economically. It was also probably a lot of fun. Lot also was a man of prominence, most probably. All I'm saying is, what has that got to do with Babylon? Sodom was one of the cities that Nimrod built with Nineveh. I'm sure Sodom is one of them, I'm personally sure. But I know he built Nineveh. And so I, I, th I don't think Scripture said specifically Sodom. I'm not sure. But I'm pretty sure he was one of the one who built Sodom because these are very old towns. And if you look at the parallels, what was the, famous, what was the fame of, of Nineveh? Jonah. Jonah. And they repented from the, from the animals on down, from the king on down, and the animals on up. And, but that only lasted 100 years. And then what happened to Nineveh? It got destroyed. He never heard of that city again either. So here's my point. The system is designed for you and I to fall in love with it. But if you look at it, if you look at it, the hardest thing to do is to leave the life that we've come to love for the life that God wants for us sometimes, especially us in these quote-unquote wealthier countries. But this system of economy, which you see, by the way, is not doing too well now, and it's going downhill very quickly is the focal point of the beginning of the tribulation and the end of the tribulation, it will be totally destroyed. Are you ready to come out of Sodom? And I'm not saying it's, not, it's bad to participate in the economy. It's good. It's done well for me. But if God says, let's go, are you ready, are you ready to leave Babylon? I want you to see that what all of this is, is a flash in the pan. And what you and I have come to rely on is basically the well-entrenched system of Babylon. It has gotten so entrenched that it's in our hearts, in our Christianity. I want you to be able to see it. If you don't, you're going to miss out on some very important points of view that will not only help you, it will also help those whom you might witness to. Especially, never forget, <laughs> it's your or my job to witness to other Christians. Not only just those who are unsaved. You know, we have a habit, I think, of Christians, <coughs> of we're always reaching out to those who are lost. That's a good thing. It's great. But we forget about those who are already Christian. And I've seen it. Once you come into a church, everybody gathers around you, and as soon as they see you're Christian, they start finding other people who are not Christian. Well, when it come, time comes to give an answer, there are going to be a lot of Christians who don't understand this stuff who will be asking questions. And I keep on coming back to the same thing, don't I? All of this information I am finding out is not just for me alone. It's not just to teach it. I'm finding out it's so that it can be ready to share it in detail. Because there are going to be a lot of hurting people. And I don't believe we're going to come out of this year the same way we're coming in, which is not that great. Genesis chapter 19, and let's go down to 27. Early the next morning, Abraham got up. Now, we haven't really introduced you to Abraham yet. We're going to do that. But I'm just making a point of this lifestyle. Remember, we're talking about Lot's love for it. His wife actually died as a pillar of salt because she looked back longingly for, for what she loved, the city, this town. I mean, I grew up in New York. I loved New York. I wouldn't want to go back to Gotham or Sodom. <laughs> but anyway, this is another point. But I still love it. I love going there. I love visiting. I feel very at home there. I could move right back to New York and that lifestyle. I could. I wouldn't. I don't. I've had the opportunity to move back. My company wants me to move back to New York. I, had, I didn't even have to hesitate to say no. If I were single, I'd still say no. But I have a family. 
you see what I'm saying? It still can be attractive to you. But anyway, I digress. So, when, so early the next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord. He looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah. These towns were very close to each other. They were twin towns. So now Abraham, remember, Lot's his nephew. So he's looking towards Sodom and Gomorrah, Gomorrah toward all the land of the plain and saw the litters. Now, Abraham doesn't know what just happened. So he's looking over there and he sees this dense smoke rising from the land like smoke from a furnace. Can you imagine when God destroys something, the smoke that comes up from this? So he's looking at this and he's going, what is this? So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. Now, I want you to see this. He remembered Abraham and then brought Lot out. You get the picture here? He didn't save Abraham for Abraham's sake. He saved Abraham and his family because of his relationship with Abraham. I mean, Lot, sorry. Did I say Abraham? Lot. He didn't save Lot and his family because of Lot's sake. Lot should not have even gone with Abraham in the first place. He should never have gone. We're going to go into this history in a few moments. So Lot wasn't even invited to go to the promised land. Lot wasn't even invited to follow Abram at the time. But he went with him. We're going to talk about that. So it's not that God really was so, he loved Lot like he loves everybody. But his particular interest was in Abraham. And for Abraham's sake, he saved Lot. So I want you to see that. Now listen to this. Now here, Babylonian system is in the heart. Remember, Lot comes out. His wife comes out, but she dies almost instantly because she looks back. So now it's just Lot and his daughters. So listen to this. Verse 30 of Genesis um, uh, 19. So Lot and his two daughters left Zoar, that's that town that was closer that Lot wanted to stay in. And the angels uh, you know, uh, capitulated to him or condescended to him and said, okay, you can stay there. Lot and his two daughters left Zoar and settled in the mountains, for he was afraid to stay in Zoar. So now he actually moves to the mountains where they just told him to go in the first place. He and his two daughters lived in a cave. Now he's, from what he had in Sodom, a nice home, probably a nice car. Oh, wait, they didn't have cars. So, <laughs> chariot, he was a man of prominence. Remember, he wasn't just an average citizen. He was one of those men who probably sat at the gate, you know, a consult. He was probably a, an official, a politician. And he loved that place. And now he's in a cave. By the way, didn't, Egypt, uh, didn't Israel say a lot of those things to God? You know, God, you let us out here in this wilderness. We were better off in Egypt, man. We had leeks. We had cucumbers. We had pheasant. God gave them pheasant. Gave them a lot of pheasant. They got sick of it after a while. You see how God answers? This, this is the thing that does not change. This is human nature. And I'm trying to show you how Babylon condescends to human nature and sucks you in and will spit you out just like Satan uses temptation today. Babylon is a temptation for the masses. It'll give you religion. It'll give you wealth. It'll give you power. Just don't think about Jesus Christ and you'll go to hell with everybody else. This is the important thing because Babylon is so strong throughout Scripture. Verse 31. So one day the older daughter said to the younger, now they're living in a cave. It's just Lot and his daughters. Our father is old, and there is no man around to lie with us, as is the custom all over the earth. Think of this. They're not even talking about marriage to lay. Now, you know what laying means, right? Laying with some. Okay, that's what the biblical for having children and what you have to do to have children. Not a secret. But I want you, no laughing. This is serious. You all know what I'm talking about. 
Even he does. <laughs> Don't look back. As is the custom. Listen, our father is old and there is no man around here to lie with us, as is the custom all over the earth. You notice they're not attributing marriage to a creation of a covenant by God for human beings to mimic a covenant relationship that he will have or could, would have with people. They are totally steeped in Babylon. They're not even thinking about a relationship with God. They're thinking about preserving the family line. And there is no man around except dad. Verse 32. Let's get our father to drink wine and then lie with him and preserve our family line through our father. How abhorrent is incest. Abhorrent. Abhorrent. But it's the way of the world. That's all they knew because the daughters were born in, 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 uh, in Sodom. And daddy didn't teach them anything else because daddy loved Sodom too. Remember, Lot was not specifically called by God. 33. That night they got their father to drink wine and the older daughter went in and lay with him. He was not aware of it when she laid down or when she got up. The next day, the older daughter said to the younger, last night I lay with my father. Let's get him drunk again tonight, basically, and you go in and lay with him this time so we can preserve our family line through our father. So they got their father to drink wine again. Now, isn't, would you say, Lot's a little complicit in all of this too? I mean, it's, you know, it's okay to drink wine. It's not okay to get drunk. And not twice in a week. Days back to back. You know, I mean, there's a real problem here. But again... This is the mindset. This is Babylon. This is the whole mindset of the system that's so totally steeped his brain. He's drunk on Babylon. He's not drunk on wine. He's drunk on Babylon, I mean, for his life. So it says here, and again, uh, so she lays with him, and again he was not sure. Verse 36, and we're going to end right here for this part. Both of Lot's daughters became pregnant by their father. And no one really cared about it. You see how they took matters into their own hands and... They just did what came naturally. And what came naturally to them was something that they had grown up with, that something that was, they were steeped in, was all of the outgrowth of that Tower of Babel and the Babylonian system of religion and the Babylonian system of economics. I just want to read you this. Just listen now. In Luke 17, verses 26 to 33. Just as it was in the days of Noah, this is Jesus saying this. You recognize this passage? Just as, in the, as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the, son of, of the coming of the Son of Man. People were eating and drinking, marrying and being given in marriage up to the day that Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. Remember I was talking about parallels here? Verse 28 of Luke 17. It was the same in the days of Lot. This is Jesus Christ hearkening back to just what we talked about just right now. It was in the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be, in verse 30, it will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. When do you think that's going to be? When is the Son of Man going to be revealed? Second coming, which is when? I'm not looking for a date and time. I'm looking for a when. If you know the date and time, tell me. Then I'm going to tell you to go talk to Pastor Stan. Soon. Right. At the end of the tribulation. That's the point. The tribulation will be an onset, will be onsetting just like 
that. Just like it was for Sodom and Gomorrah. They were eating and building and planting and they were being warned by people outside. Probably, I don't know. But we do know in the days of Noah, how long did it take Noah to build that ark? Landlocked, people have seen him build the ark. It's like, are you crazy? There's no water around here. Why are you building a big boat? Well, let me tell you what's going to happen Oh, a few years from now. You're crazy until it happened. What do you think we're entering into right now? Rick said very soon. I agree. But the thing we don't know as a side note is how bad it's going to get before the Antichrist is revealed. Because that's the only cue we have that we know we'll be out of here, those of us who are still alive. And I believe we will be. I believe unless there's an untold accident, every one of us in this room will be alive when the Antichrist is ready to come on the scene. The key is, is that if you know his name, you miss the boat. You miss the ark. Now remember, he says, on that day when the Son of Man is revealed, no one who is on the roof of his house with goods inside should go down and get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. What he's saying here is that people in Jerusalem used to live on their roofs. I don't know if you knew that. That was where they did most of their living because these houses were small. And so it was mostly a good weather for living outdoors, so they lived on their roofs an awful lot. So when it was time to go in a hurry, they would have to just run out. Don't stop to get anything. And if you were in the field working, don't go back to get, don't go back to get your stuff. Get ready to go. Because he said, likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. He says it right here. Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. Do you understand what that means now? Lot's wife wanted to preserve her old way of life, and she died. Lot's daughters wanted to preserve their old way of life because they weren't even brought up properly. How did that work out for them? Not too good. And they had no problem with their amoral behavior either. Okay, so I'm going to end here with Babylon. Yes, Bob. Absolutely, right? And we're going to even get into Ishmael from Hagar because Abraham had the same problem. <coughs> Absolutely, that's correct. So you see, again, especially with that, with that instance that Bob just gave us, how Babylon has entrenched every fiber of everyone's being, including those who are separated for God, from Jew to Christian. Last week I went over a couple of things. I just want to let you know that Tammuz was thought to have died at the winter solstice, which is right around Christmas. Did you know that? Did you know that Christmas is actually the day of, of the worship of, of, of the god Saturn? Remember we talked about Saturn and Jupiter? The Chaldean word for infant is the word Yule. And what they would do at the winter solstice is, now remember I told you, Tammuz was killed by a wild boar and was resurrected. Well, they would worship him and do this ritual on or around December 25th. They would put a burning log in their fireplace. And then they called it the Yule Log because it was to show that Tammuz was consumed and then what they would do the next day is they would celebrate his resurrection by taking a tree, which is a new log, if you will, and adorning it with decoration. So do we burn Yule logs in our fireplaces for Christmas? Do you see where that comes from? And you know what I bet? I bet a lot of you knew that too. But we still worship and love on Christmas. I'm not going to say anything more about it. Because when we get to Easter, I'll talk about that again, because that happens to be at the time of the Passover. 
You and I have to make decisions in this life. And some of them will make you unpopular. I can tell you, when I've talked about this in other classes I've taught, I've had at least one person come to me after that and say, you know what, this is scary stuff. Well, I said, is it, is it wrong? No, 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 no. But you could confuse people. Really? You can confuse new Christians. Really? Maybe they're already confused and they need to be unconfused. What is your worldview? If you find anything that I've said as false, then tell me. I need to be corrected. But if not, maybe you need to correct yourself. How many Christians think about this stuff? But that's why you're here. So this is good, right? Excellent. Excellent. And there's more in my notes. Please read, especially page 89. Remember page 89? There's more to it. Let's go back to Genesis 9 and chapter, uh, chapter 9, verse 18. After the incident of the Tower of Babel, people were scattered, you know, about Sodom and Gomorrah. We talked about that almost ad nauseum now, so that's good. Now we are going to talk about the call of Abraham, who was known as Abram before he became Abraham. Genesis chapter 9 and verse 18. What is that noise? Oh, I thought that was fire and brimstone. <laughs> y'all don't look back. Y'all face this way. Don't look back. Don't look at that clock. I'm watching the clock. Right when is he going to stop? I got to go. No fire and brimstone, just coffee. <laughs> Genesis chapter 9 and 18. The sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These were the three sons of Noah, and from them came the people who were scattered over the earth. So that's just a review. Genesis, go to Genesis chapter 11 and verse 8. Genesis chapter 11 and verse 8. So the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth, and they stopped building the city. We just know that. That is why it is called Babel, because the Lord confused the languages of the whole world, and from there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Now, as they're moving across the earth at the end of chapter 11, we're given a genealogy. If you go to chapter 11 and verse 27... I'm not going to go through the whole genealogy, but it runs from the line of Noah's oldest son, Shem. Now remember we discussed how important genealogy is to God, because that's the only way you can prove the line of the kings, the line of through Judah, David, Judah, you know, Judah, David, and then Messiah, and uh, the line of the priests and all that stuff, but it's important. But if we go to Genesis chapter 11 and verse 27, this is the account of Terah, or Terah. Terah became the father of Abram, Noar, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, uh, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldees. Now, this is what I wanted to show you over here. Sorry, you can't see it too well, but I'll embed these in my notes, like I said. This is Israel right here, but this is the, the world of the patriarchs. So what I tried to do is show you this is sort of this area right here, magnified. So here's Israel, and here's, here's the, the modern-day nations in the area. I know this is hard to see, and I apologize again. But down here, you have the Tigris and the Euphrates, where they meet. People lived along the rivers in those days because that's the only place they could live. Otherwise, they would die in the desert. So build, they would build their cities and things by the, by the, the area. So down by the Arabian Desert, which is uh, down here, is, is Ur of the Chaldees. And here's Babel, or Babylon, right here. Babylon's still in the same place, by the way. As you know. If you don't know, you should. The same Babylon is where the Antichrist is going to make his headquarters. Where Alexander the Great made his headquarters, and I told you, found the ruins of the Tower of Babel and was going to rebuild it. But unfortunately for him, he died. 
at 32 years old. So now, Ur of the Chaldees is here. They're going to migrate. Abraham and those with him are going to migrate. And believe it or not, they're actually going toward Canaan before God sends them there. Canaan is down here, right, right south of Jerusalem. It's in that area south of Jerusalem. So they're moving up, and they're going to go to Haran first, which is up here, right in this area uh, just north. And actually up there, it's, it's probably like uh, Lebanon, where Lebanon is right now, somewhere around there. But that's where it is. Verse 28, while his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldees in the land of, the, of his birth. So Terah dies now. He's in the Ur of the Chaldees. Ab Abram and Noah both married. So uh, Abraham and his brother Noah now marries. And the name of Abraham's wife is Sarai. And the name of Noah's wife is Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Is Is Iscah. Now, Sarai was barren and had no children. So you know the story of Abraham and Sarai. We're going to get into that if you don't know, but not right at this moment. Genesis 11, verse 31. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, of, uh, his, grandson, uh, his grandson Lot, son of Haran. So now you see the stories developing. Abraham, Abram, at that point, is taking his grand, uh, his, uh, let's see, Terah took his son Abraham and, and his grandson Lot. So Terah took them and, and, uh, and his daughter-in-law, Sarai, wife, and they went to set out from Ur of the Chaldees to go to Canaan. So remember, Lot is, uh, is Abram's nephew. Abraham's father took Abraham, Haran, the, son, the, the father of Lot, and, and the daughter and sons and all, and they, now they're setting off and they're going, to Can they're going to Canaan. Now this is before God calls Abraham. Interesting. The site, by the way, Ur the Chaldees, we know it's there, but we didn't know it was there for a long time. The New Scripture had said about it. But in the 19th century, it was excavated by this gentleman named C. Leonard Woolley. And in the 1920s and 30s, the partial history of Ur of the Chaldees was actually reconstructed. So now we understand more about Ur of the Chaldees. And it was funny because from what I've read, before the 19th century, People didn't know where that was, so they were saying, you know what, I'll believe some of this if I actually hear about where Ur of the Chaldees is. Well, we finally found it. People are looking now to archaeology to say, you know what, if they ever dig up, you know, such and such, if anybody ever finds Noah's Ark or anybody ever finds this, I'll believe in it. Until then I won't. Well, be careful because they just might find it. All right. And there's a, there's a, a website I have in my notes here on page 91 that will show you more about that if you're interested. So let's continue in verse 32. Terah lived 205 years, and then he died in Haran, which is up here. So they migrated from Ur of the Chaldees up to Haran. Okay, so they're up there now, and he dies. Uh, the Lord said to Abram at that time, in, in chapter 12 and verse 1 of Genesis, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to a land I will show you. I want you to remember the most important feature, actually the second most important feature. The first is that he's going to give them a land. He's going to bring them to a land. But I want you to notice what God says here. Leave your country, leave Haran. Leave your people, Abram. Leave them and your father's household. That means all of them. You go. You take your wife and you go. Remember that. Genesis 12 and verse 2. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you I will make your name great and you will be a blessing I will bless those who bless you 
And whoever curses you, I will curse. We better learn one important thing from this. We better bless Israel. And if you ever go to a church or speak to people who do not bless Israel, you better get out. You better warn them and get out. If you look in the back of my truck, I have a bumper sticker that says, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Why do I have that there? Because I want people who see it to maybe ask me, do you want the Palestinians to own that land? Do you want to see peace in Jerusalem so it's a divided land so that there'll be peace? And what do you think I would say? No, no, no. Let me point you to some land-grand information from Genesis. But so far, nobody's asked me. Maybe it's me. I don't know. All right, so we've got a few minutes left. I just want to cover some of this. So, and he says, in verse 3, so he says, whoever curses you, I will curse. And then he says, right on the heels of that, and all, and I want you to italicize this in your mind and your heart, all peoples on earth will be a blessing through you. And that's, I'm sorry, I have a heart for Israel. And I've had Jewish friends when I grew up in New York. I grew up in what was, at that time, a Jewish neighborhood. And I didn't know it back then, but I didn't know how special those people are. What, the, what they remember from what God gave them, they are still, you know, they've been brought back to the land in disbelief. For those of you who study any kind of prophecy knows that. It's in 1948. But they have such a persistence for the things of God. It's just that they do it without knowledge. They are God's people. He has kept their covenant with them. And believe me, it's because they're not keeping it that their judgment is about to fall. You're waiting for the other shoe to drop in the Middle East. You watch. It's going to be soon. It's going to be very soon. You better pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And if, if anything, to bless them because God said you as his people and I as his people must bless Israel. So Abram left. He still named Abram here as the Lord had told him in verse 4. But unfortunately, what else does it say here? And Lot went with him. Now, Abram probably felt a responsibility. I mean, here's his fatherless nephew. Wouldn't you do it? By the way, Abram was also a very wealthy man. We're going to see here. We've only got a few minutes. We're going to continue next week. He's a very wealthy man. He had an army. He had his own army. Because if you know Genesis a little after this, he actually battles some kings. And then Melchizedek comes. Okay. So Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran to where God was going to show him to go. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people that they had acquired in Haran. So now they have this whole entourage of, of slaves or, or, or whatever you want to call them, attendants and cattle and everything, sheep, everything. And they set off for the land of Canaan and they don't mind them, they have to leave. <laughs> Just when it gets good, they always walk out on me. That's all right, I still love them anyway. Take care now. Talk to the hand. All right. So they took everything that they acquired, it, and you can see that they acquired quite a few things. Okay. By the way, remember we had talked about the flood, and after the flood, it was the beginning of the age of human, or the dispensation of human government? We talked about that. Now we're getting, moving into the dispensation of the age of promise. Promise. I'm going to name these to you because it's important, I think, that at least we understand that there are seven biblical dispensations and scriptures, the storyline is divided into seven distinct segments. And if you run through them, you'll see the promises of God, how he laid everything out right through them. So this is a whole thread. This whole story is a big thread of that. 
the key people we've been introduced here, and I think we're going to stop in a moment here, um, are Abraham or Abram, which means the exalted father or the father of a nation, exalted father. His name is in chapter 17, I think it is, is changed to Abraham, which means a father of many nations. Now, we're going to talk about that a little bit, not much, but you remember the story that his, he's supposed to have a son, but he didn't wait for God, did he? He's still suffering today. The Jews are still suffering today because of it. So anyway, so Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Ah, well, there were giants in the land, remember? We're not there yet, but... The Lord appeared to Abram and said, and we're going to end here, To your offspring I will give this land. This is Canaan. This whole area, which is Israel, is Canaan. By the way, it goes into Jordan. The land grant is a lot bigger than just what Israel is today. And they want to make it smaller by going back to the, what they call the 1967 borders. God is not... I'm going to show you when we get to Jacob and Esau, I am going to give you the history, briefly, of how we got from those two twins all the way to the Palestinian and Israeli conflict today. I want you to be here for those couple of weeks because I think that's another key milestone. If you understand the genesis of all of that, pun intended, genesis, get it? If you understand that, you will understand what is happening today, how it got to today, what team to root for. And it's not just because I told you to root for Israel and you know to root for Israel. You know what? They want to drive Israel out because it has been this war since Jacob was hanging on to Esau's heel. And Esau gave up his birthright. And it hasn't stopped since. There's a lot of lying and cajoling and cheating from this point forward. From when, from when Abraham takes Lot, what he shouldn't have, through Jacob and, and all this wheeling and dealing and the birthright and the bowl of pottage, you know, meat, stew, whatever. We're going to go through all of that. I want you to learn that God has his plan. But believe me, he will allow us to put ourselves into a bind. And he's allowed his people to do that. And I want you to understand how we got here today. And we're headed very shortly in the future. But until that future, have a great week.